It's always good to be in his house, to be in his presence. I'm just so thankful to gather together. Aren't you so thankful? Aren't we thankful that the Lord has preserved his word for us and that we are still in freedom? You know, this is just a little church here in, like I said, during prayer in the middle of nowhere. But God uh, is uh, with us. He is in this room and he thought it was worthwhile to preserve his word for us that today 2000 years after the cross we can read of Christ and it's not just words is it it's the word the living word that when we read those words the the Christ of the word right the word made flesh becomes alive in us and so i'm just so thankful for his word and i'm thankful to be together i'm going to get right into the sermon that the lord has for us today this is part 5 i want you to say out loud with me the inside, outside, upside, down kingdom. It's an inside, outside, upside down kingdom, isn't it? Jesus said in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. The entire kingdom of God and the word of God is opposite of this world. You're going to notice more and more as we progress, it's 2023, and as we progress into this next year and so on, right, there's, you know, we have a term for them, right, for this time that we're living in. Um, I'm not even going to say it out loud, but we are progressing forward, right? You can use your imagination. And as we progress forward as a world, we almost must regress more and more into the word, right? As the world progresses you cannot progress with it. You must regress into the word. And it's like a ship at sea. Imagine one day uh, the captain just says, well, I think north is that way. Would you be very confident to be out on the Atlantic in the middle of the winter? Would you be confident in that captain who just says, well, this is what I feel. And today I think north is that way. And tomorrow it might change based on you know, we're going to just pool everybody's opinions, and if you guys think north is a different direction, then tomorrow we'll head that direction. That would be insanity, wouldn't it? And so we thank God that we have the word, which is our compass. It always points to true north, which means no matter how turbulent the seas get, no matter how crazy it gets around you, you can always come back to the word, and dawn is the worst for, for direction when we're in a car. All you have to do to know, you don't need a GPS. Just ask my wife, which way should we go? She'll say, it feels like we should go that way. Just make, just go the other way. You'll get there without a GPS. You cannot go by feelings. We cannot live our lives by feelings. Your flesh, your heart, your mind, whether you like it or not, from the moment you are, were born, it's been formed by this world. It doesn't mean that the Lord has not redeemed us from that, and that's the whole point of these sermons, but even though we know the Lord, even though the Lord is hotly pursuing us from the moment we're born, the world has also been forming us from the moment you're born. The television you watch, the family you grew up in, the culture you were in, even neighborhoods you were in versus, you know, whether it was the country or the city, uh, that all kind of forms the person that you are in a worldly, earthly, human flesh sense. But we are not flesh, are we? We are spirit. 
You are flesh and blood in one aspect, but we are a spirit. God has put a spirit into this shell called a body. And that's why the Lord warns us, don't worry what they can do to the body. I'm not, the Lord said, don't be worried about this human body. It doesn't mean we don't take care of it. I'm not talking about not being, you know, careful with your body and jumping off a cliff and testing God. We must be, you know, we must be wise and not foolish what you eat. But he said, you know, maybe one day they're going to come for you. And they're going to say, it's time to be a martyr. Don't worry about that body, because that's not who you are. It's just a body. Your spirit inside you will be preserved. And I've got a new body for you, praise God, in heaven forever. Amen. So if that's the case, then what we see around us is not really what's real. This is temporary. But Jesus came and he began to preach the kingdom of God. Remember, Satan tried to offer Jesus the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus started to preach about the kingdom of God being near. Now, I just, I've been reading this list. I'm going to read it again. This is the fifth time I've read it. The way up is down. The way out is in, right? It, it was just, just to break this down, just, just a little review, if I want to if I want to get close to the Lord, what do we do? We get low, right? I want to ascend. I want to be close to God. Well, it's very simple. I can't really go do anything. There's no works I can do, but I can humble myself, right? If I want to be close to God, I need to get low. If I want to get out of a situation, I need to get into his presence. Praise God. So uh, the way to be filled is to be empty. And these are just, these are biblical principles that are opposite of our earthly principles, the way to receive, the world says, if I need something, I take it. But the Bible says the way to receive is to give. The way to be strong is to be weak. The way to live, Jesus said, if you want to live, then you have to die. The way to live is to die. The way to be great is to be least. The way to be first is to be last. The way to be honored is to serve. The way to be forgiven is to forgive. The way to share Christ's glory is to suffer. The way to have faith is to let go. The way to be wise is to become a fool. And the way to know God is to become a child. There are two worlds. There is the world that your flesh is living in right now. And there is the kingdom. Let's just say kingdoms, right? There is the fallen kingdom of darkness and there is the kingdom of God. But So there is the unseen and there is the seen. The unseen is much more real than the seen. What you see will pass away. So if I was to just uh, use math and science and, and, and I was to, to show you something that is temporary, let's say like a sandcastle, and I was to show you a, a home built on the rock, you know, with good sturdy uh, materials, and I was to show that to you for a moment, and you were to look at, you know, the sandcastle, and it seems real, and it looks real, and then, you know, a moment later, a wave comes in and washes it away. You could argue, well, it was real. I saw it. I was there. I did see it. Now, if you came back a year later, five years later, ten years later, you would start to wonder, well, was it even real? Was it? Did that even happen? You know, when we talk about eternity, what I've been trying to get into our heads is why we need to be eternally minded is, I've been saying, we think of a trillion years, right? When you think of eternity, your mind can't help but just think of a lot of time. But eternity is even, is actually not a lot of years, it's no years. It's zero years. 
And even that's a number. It's just, it's outside of time. And the point is that if you measured your life, even 120 years on the earth, against eternity, it would actually equal mathematically of nothing. Math would equal your life here, just using, because we're talking about the expanse of, of so much time, the time doesn't even exist, that this would become like a sandcastle just washing away. And so that means, and that's why Jesus warned us over and over and over again, to focus on the kingdom of heaven. He said, here on the earth, what happens? The thieves, they break in and steal. But he said in heaven, right? The thieves, they don't break in and steal. It's kept away forever, right? Here, everything decomposes and washes away. The moth and the rust, they destroy. But in heaven, it's kept forever. So we must think differently. That's been the big focus. I began this series five weeks ago, really intending to get into some of these principles about giving and to receive and to be weak, to be strong, and that was my intention. And here I am in week five, still really uh, dwelling on this fact that we must think differently. I was going to move on to some of these principles, and I feel like we needed to get deeper into this again. You must begin to think differently. In Philippians 2, we saw that Jesus thought differently. The Bible says in different translations that he, we had, he had a different mind, and the Amplified says, uh, adds that he had a different attitude. His thinking and his attitude was different. Jesus didn't live on this earth for himself. Jesus was the epitome of selflessness. Everybody say it, selflessness, instead of selfishness, which is the epitome of worldliness. He said, if you want to follow me, that's fine, but you should take a moment and just think about it because the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, Jesus was saying, this is not my home. I'm heading somewhere, and the cross is part of that path, by the way. I made the point that we must have a different state of mind. Now, a state of mind is not just passing thoughts. It's not the occasional thoughts. But to have a different state of mind is a way of existing. It's not just thinking. It's a way of existing. And let me give you an example. A sports professional. I didn't try to think of a million examples. I just thought of one that maybe we could understand. A sports professional they wake up thinking about what? What do you think they wake up thinking about? Their game, right? Whatever that game is. What do you think they're talking about? They talk about the game, right? They practice and they become better at the game. They dream about the game. And they will literally schedule their weddings in the off-season, right? Because nothing, um, it's, it better be serious, and a wedding's not serious enough, to interrupt their season. I have a friend that literally scheduled his wedding away from the hunting season. Now, that's obsessed. In the same way, a believer, in the same way, a believer must train our minds with the coaching of the Holy Spirit to not just have different thoughts. See, this is the thing. We could try to change our brain. We could try to think differently and try to go through the works. And it's always a fine line between works and letting the Holy Spirit and the Word do their job, isn't it? It's always a fine line because there is an action on our part. To do no action at all would be foolish, right? 
Even the ship that we say, well, the Lord's the wind. He's guiding us. He's the north, right? He's the magnet in my compass. Okay, he's all those things. I'm not, you know, I don't just dictate where I'm heading, but I still put my hands on the wheel, right? And put the sails up so there's some action, and yet it still can't take credit for it. And you see this fine line between the works and working, all right? And so a lot of times people will categorize you doing anything as works, and that's insanity, you must still do the action of getting into your word, understanding who this Jesus is that you believe, and not just Jesus, even me teaching you. You better make sure that I'm teaching you the Jesus of the Bible and not just saying his name. Who's ever actually gone to Google a principle that you learned you know, years ago, or you start thumbing through your Bible and you're like, hey, where's that verse? And I find, wait a second, I can't find that verse. I can't find that principle because it wasn't from the Bible. And yet it was taught like it was. I go through this all the time as a preacher, things I didn't really need to worry about because I'm, I know my Lord, and if the principles are slightly off, you know, the Lord kind of straightens your path. But now as somebody kind of responsible in teaching these principles, I better know what it says in his word and not just what I think and what I believe or what I've been taught. Even I have to go to his word. Okay, yep, that's true, that's true, that's true. These things, you know, maybe they're not. In the same way, this believer must train with the coaching of the Holy Spirit to think differently. We must go from a rewriting of me, myself, and I to what will please God. What would Jesus do? How would he react? And am I preparing for eternity more than preparing for earthly things? We must have a rewired mind. Everybody say a rewired mind. What I want us to see as believers here, and this is as being part five, is when Jesus stated these things, all these opposite things, right? All these, Jesus goes through uh, all these, you know, these principles like, you know, like, all right, they ask you to go a mile, go two, and when they slap your face, you know, turn the other cheek, and they ask for your cloak, you know, give them, give them more stuff than they're asking for, and these, are, these were like opposite concepts of our human nature, and that's just some things, right? We're not going to go through that list again. We've done that in, the, in weeks previous, but when he's doing these things, um, you could just say, wow, Jesus, that's so hard to do. How do I do that? And it's not really you doing it. We must get into the Word and just become close with the Lord, become intimate with the Word, just become aware of God's principles and what He requires, and then something begins to happen. Who can testify about this? And it wasn't you trying to work. All of a sudden, you started talking differently, right? Some of you in your old nature used words that you don't find in the Bible, but then suddenly those words started, they stopped coming out of your mouth. And, you know, maybe you made a conscious decision, you know, I don't want to say that word anymore one time. But then at some point, you're not actually choosing to not swear. You just don't talk that way. How is that possible? And you can see now that it was actually the synapses in your brain. Something changed. God actually supernaturally rewired your brain. Now, it wasn't flippant, because if you're flippant, what happens? right? You ever met a flippant Christian, right? A flippant Christian, not a flippant Christian, <laughs> a flippant Christian. <laughs> it sounded so similar. I had to clarify. Got to make sure. A flippant Christian, right? I don't, you know me, I don't judge anyone. I will never bring a name up here. I'll never point you to a denomination, verse denomination, etc. But 
let's just say, you know, just some imaginary flippant Christian. They profess Jesus. They say they know the word, but they just don't talk and act like it. And you're, you just say, well, Lord, I pray for them, and it's between you and them. That's their heart between you and them. But I don't want to copy those things without me telling them that, right, that I'm better than them. But I don't want to talk like that. I don't want to act like that. And so uh, it's because they haven't really submitted to God, which is the works. That is the works you do. You can't actually change the way you talk, but you can submit yourself to God, and he can change the way you talk. And let's just see a few scriptures here. I'm going to breeze through a couple of scriptures really quick because I want to get to a principle to bring this together today. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says in the NLT, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. It says, it says what? It says, past tense, everybody say, I have been. That's what the Bible says. This is not me creating a concept. The Bible says that you have been raised. It's not writing it to dead people. It was writing it to alive people on the earth, and that's including you and I, that we've been raised to new life with Christ. And so because of that, everybody say, because of that, the Bible tells us, to change your perspective. I'm not going to re-preach last sermon, although I had definitely probably three more sermons that I could have done last week alone, but I'm going to leave that concept. I'll just say it this way, that it says we have to have different eyes to see. Remember, I love the story. I didn't share this last week, and you can read it in your own time, but I love the story where Elisha is, keeps telling the secrets of the king. Who knows the story? Right? He keeps telling the secrets of King of, of Aram, right? I believe it's Aram, right? Dan, help me, right? The King of Aram. That's Elisha. So he keeps telling the king secrets of this foreign army, right? So they say, well, it's got to be, who's the, who's the loose, right? Who's the spy? And they said, there's no spy. It's the guy, Elisha, from Israel. He's a prophet, and he keeps telling What's going to happen when you think it in your bedroom? And so he's like, well, let's go get this guy. So they come and surround his house. And Elisha's servant comes outside, and he sees this mighty army. And he says, what are we going to do? You know, we're trapped. And Elisha says, uh, there are more with us than there are with them. And he says, Lord, open his eyes. And all of a sudden, his eyes began, his eyes opened to a mighty army of God that was standing there. And suddenly, the army of this world became small. And then he prayed that the army of this world become blind. Isn't this interesting? So the eyes to see, the ears to hear that Jesus talks about New Testament. Here's a glimpse of it in the Old Testament with Elisha, that that's what was real. And what we could see in the natural seemed intimidating, but what we couldn't see was actually more powerful than what you could see. And so we must have different eyes to see. And so as I'm moving into this week about changing really our mind, all right, so the eyes are, are the gates, right? It's what you see. Your mind is creating paths 
you're creating perceptions, right? I've said this many times, but we read body language, and you shouldn't do that because somebody's just hungry, and you see them squirming, and they're just like, man, I'm really hungry, and I shouldn't have that second cup of coffee. It's making me anxious. And you're thinking, man, I don't, this person just does not want to talk to me right now. All they're doing is squirming. They must be so bored by what I'm saying. And meanwhile, you know, your perceptions are wrong, but your mind is convinced. And now they say something that backs up your false perception. And all it is is, can I use the bathroom? And they're like, see, I knew it. I knew they didn't want to be here. I knew that they didn't want to talk to me. And now you've created this whole false narrative based on what you saw. It worked in your brain, and now it's actually a lie. And so that's why Jesus tells us you need eyes to see and ears to hear. You cannot perceive, you cannot just look and perceive with your natural man and make decisions. We must go to the Word. And what I want us to see, what I'm trying to say here, Colossians 3 is telling us that you must, what I was praying during our prayer before we started here, during worship, you must take this old man and leave him in the grave. My Bible says, Colossians 3, verse 2, think about the things of heaven, not of the earth, because it's, there's a comma here, really, because verse 3 says, for you, everybody, let's read this out loud. For I died to this life, and my real life is hidden with Christ and God. So Colossians 3 tells me, why should I set my eyes on heaven, on, a new, on the realities of heaven? Why should I change the way I'm thinking? Because I have died. My Bible says I died and I, my real life is with Christ. So even though um, you can see me, I can see you were on the earth, this body is just a body. My spirit man is united with Christ in heaven. Now when the body dies, I'm just going to go to where my spirit already is. And he's going to put a new body on that spirit. Isn't that amazing? I told you last, week's, last week, I'm not going to get into it again, but... Um, Science is just scratching the surface, right? They don't quite have it figured out, and they don't think they ever will. But into the, in this, when you're talking quantum, right? And, and quantum mechanics, quantum theories, whatever, mathematics and sciences. And the idea is that two things can scientifically now be proven to be in two places at once. In fact, there are new technologies there are new technologies. I don't understand how it will work, except I understand the concept that you could put information on something, let's just say, like a USB drive. It's not that. It will be something more advanced. And you could separate it, essentially, and bring it across the country, right, Michael, to, you know, and have part. You could have one drive in New York and one part in California. And the technology, if I update mine here, We'll update the other half of it in California. This is not a, it's not connected to the internet. It's not just Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and some sort of connection. This is that they are eternally connected on like a subatomic level. Now, again, like I said, this is like cutting-edge science, and I'm, I'm the worst. I'm not the person to tell you how it works. But my point is that science is just scratching the surface. 
They're just scratching the surface and what the word told me 2,000 years ago, that you could be in two places at once, that my body's here, but my spirit is with Christ in heaven. And so that doesn't mean to be weird. I still go to work. I'm going to go to work tomorrow, right? Who's, who's going to work tomorrow, right? right? Who's going to feed this body? Well, it's on the earth, right? For the time being, I'm going to give it food and I'm going to take care of it. But I know that this is a temporary thing, right? As I'm getting just a little bit older, just the, the wrinkles are just starting, just starting, barely. But they're, they're, they're little warning signs that this body is decaying. And that's okay, because this is not real. That as this body finally says, I've had enough, my spirit will be, which is always fresh, always alive, always renewed in Christ, will enter its new body. And so that's why I should start to think like that now. Don't think earthly, and then suddenly on your deathbed think, man, I need to get some things in order. It's too late. That could be, that could be what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the ten virgins. And I don't want to be those that weren't ready. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 18, basically is talking about the concept of the church and what it's supposed to do, building up the people. And the, the pastor is just one of those roles, equipping them. Uh, to make to build up this body of Christ, and it says in Ephesians 4, verse 14, so that you wouldn't be immature anymore. You're not going to be influenced by lies. But verse 17 says, so that we would live no longer as the Gentiles, or that's the world. Don't live like you used to. Everybody say, like I used to. That's what it's talking about here. It says, for they, and that was you before you came to Christ, for they are hopelessly confused. They are hopelessly confused. Who was confused before Christ? Anybody want to testify? Come up here and just testify. I was hopelessly confused. I know that before the Lord revealed things in, in his word, even being a believer, I was hopelessly confused in that area before he showed me the truth in that area. Who can testify about that? Right, that we are confused. We don't realize it, but really when we look and see that the Lord was gracious to us and then shows us the truth through his word, I'm like, wow, in that area, I had it wrong. And I thank you, Lord, that your word has given me life now. And it says their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. So the Bible says that a closing of your mind, a hardening of the heart. What are we seeing here? We're seeing from Colossians and Ephesians, just for time, because that clock is always ticking so fast. 2 Corinthians 4, we don't need to turn there. 2 Corinthians 4 talks about how Satan has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. And so based on 2 Corinthians 4 and Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, what we see is this concept of an old mind. Everybody say an old mind, or you could even say an old way of thinking. It's the way that you thought. Paul also says but this way, as a child. When you mature in the Lord, you're not gaining more knowledge. You know what the Bible says about knowledge? Come on, some of the mature, tell me, what's it say? What's it do? Right, it's right. It puffs up. Knowledge, just having knowledge, what happens? You ever meet somebody that thinks they know the word? 
knowledge just of the word just puffs up. The religious that Jesus dealt with when he came to the earth, that was their problem. They knew every little detail. In fact, he even said, you guys created your own laws to go with my laws because you thought that would help. Come on, this is the epitome of religion. And they missed Jesus standing there in the flesh, right in front of their face, offering them eternal life. And he said, you search the scriptures, and I'm standing right here. That's my paraphrase. Wow. And so there's a mind that you have, and we must let the Lord through the power of the word. It has to be, you have to read the word. You got to get around other believers. This is your action. It's not works. That's not works. Don't listen to that old lie. This works versus grace, works versus faith uh, argument. Just forget all the arguments. Just what does the word say? If I read that word and then I understand it, then it goes from this place of knowledge and goes deeper down into my heart. Jesus said it this way. It's like a seed that's sown in good ground, and it grows. And then all of a sudden, something begins much bigger than just knowledge. I begin, I am not just trying to think Christian. I'm not trying to be good. I don't want to do wrong. Right? That's what happens. I don't want to talk that way anymore. It's not me trying. I'm not going through the motions. Oh, forgive me again, Lord. And that's fine. The Lord loves you. The Lord's got so much grace for you if that's where you're at. If you're still in the place where you're saying, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. He loves you there. He has grace for you there. But ultimately, where he, the maturity, when it says that we go from children to being mature, and this is what I was trying to get to. Here's my point. It's not you gaining more knowledge so you can try harder, so you have more tools to try better. It's going from a child to immaturity is that now I don't even think that way anymore. Who, are, who looks back and says at an old story in your life, I'm not talking about someone else's life, and you're like, I'm going to tell it for a testimony, but I'm embarrassed to tell it. Right? Because it's not even who you are anymore. It's almost embarrassing to tell the story, even though there's a testimony attached to it, but that's not who I am. It's not that I have to try to not be that person every day. I'm just not that person anymore. And do you see that this is not a works thing, but this is that the power of the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, the power of the cross and the blood. And so to bring this together for, as we round third in this sermon, I want to bring this to the next thing. This, this concept in, has been, like, in my brain this week, and it's, the, it's the, the word meditation. And it's funny, because meditation, we immediately think New Age, we think other religions. It's funny, people that say that don't even know your word. It says in Psalm chapter 19, verse 14, this is just one of many examples this is just one, but this is the one that's been going through my heart. It says in Psalm 19, verse 14, it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Everybody say, the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
A lot of times we can we think we can get the words figured out. We can get the outside figured out. We can get the actions figured out. But it's the meditation of my heart. And that line has just been going through my spirit all week. Come on, who who has this happen sometimes? Who has the Lord just have something from and this is what I'm talking about. This is why it's not religion. And when people say you know, the, the old Christianese line, it's not religion, it's relationship. I don't know what that means, but that's what it is, right? It's relationship. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. It sounds good. It's this. It's that I'm, I'm not just reading the word like religion does, but then suddenly, man, this scripture just won't leave me, leave me alone because the Holy Spirit is actively pursuing me to change me into his image. That's what the Bible says. Until I come to the full image, the full stature of Christ, individually and corporately as his church. And so in order to do that, God doesn't just speak good little tidbits. God doesn't just speak good proverbs, earthly, you know, good one-liners. He uses his word because it's safe and he can, it's, it is my compass. I know that, wait a second, what I've been hearing, I think that's in the Word, the meditations of my heart, the meditation of my heart. What's that verse? And what do I do? Come on, as a, as a mature believer like you do too, I go to my Word, where's that verse? And I read it, and now what was, it was already coming. I didn't even read the verse. The Holy Spirit's speaking it into my heart. He does the same thing to you. I mean, it might be, he might say something like, stop doing that. I'm not saying that he can't just say, stop doing that. You know, maybe it's an addiction that you can't put down, and the Lord, and you just hear stop. It doesn't mean he can't speak that way, but many times, especially I guess as a preacher, because it is this is the word is is safe, and I know it's not me, it's not flesh, it's not just concepts that I, you know, let me just tell you what I think this week. But he brings me to the word, and it protects me, keeps me safe, and so this verse keeps coming. The meditation of my heart. And so I began to meditate on this verse. I began to think about this a lot. And I began to think, here's another one, Isaiah 26.3. Now, this doesn't say the word meditate, but it's the same exact concept. Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Your translation might say that are stayed on you. That was the line. That was another line that was going through my spirit this week. And I always know it's God when I when he speaks to me in old speaks to me in King James or New King James, because I always preach out of NLT. It's easy for me to preach out of, but when I hear the line in the old text, I know it's the Lord speaking to me. Right? Those who are stayed on you, stayed on you. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm gonna look that up. I hear you. And so I began to meditate on this, and I began to think about how, you know, the Lord gives, there are rules to the universe. There are laws that are with or without God. For instance, the law of gravity, whether you respect God or you don't want to respect God, right? It is, let's not call it irrelevant, but let's say it's a law that works with or without salvation. You guys understand me, right? If you jump off a cliff, you will die. Unless the Lord wants to save you supernaturally that day, that's up to him. I would not depend on that. 
I would use a parachute and respect the law of gravity. In the same way, see, as soon as I start talking about laws and rules, everybody gets tight and clenches up because you're like, man, we're freed from that. We're freed from laws. We're freed from rules. We're freed from regulation. You know, when a father says to his daughter, I don't want you to go out tonight. I've used this example so many times because it just is so, it makes so much sense. Father says to his daughter, I don't want you going out tonight. I want you to be home by 10. The daughter, you know what she hears? Rules, regulations. You know what she hears in her heart at 32? Wow, thank God that dad didn't just have rules, regulations. That was a coincidence, by the way. <laughs> it must be the Lord speaking to you. I have a 32-year-old lady sitting in the back. Just, that was just off the hip. You know what they say, though? You know what's coming out of their mouth now? It wasn't dad's rules and regulations. Wow, dad really loved me. Now it's love. It's rules and regulations because it bucks against what I, what I want to do right now. But is it really law? I mean, yes. At the end of the day, what happens? If you come back at 11, what does dad do? What does a good dad do? You're grounded. So now a good dad seems to have law, you know, cause and effect. Here's law and here's judgment. But that's not really what dad wanted, was it? Dad didn't put the law there so that he could show you he's boss and judge you. See, we don't have the word so that we can tell, you know, the world about the book of Revelation, like God's going to send you all to hell. That's not why we have, he doesn't tell us about hell to send us there. Do you get this concept? He's not warning us of these things so that we should be afraid of them, but so that we should respect them. And it's not so that we would just respect, see what happens is, is a child is like, I'm going to respect you, but I'm, you know the old saying, I might be sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. That's not respect. That's a facade of respect. That is the right words, but not the meditations of your heart. Not just the words out of my mouth, the actions that I'm showing you. Jesus called the Pharisees, we don't have time to go into it, because again, my clock is ticking, but Jesus said to the Pharisees over and over and over again in Matthew 23, all these things about them and things that are these negative things. He spends a whole chapter just tearing these guys apart in Matthew 23. You know what he says to them? He's like, you guys are whitewashed sepulchers. And you know what that means? That means you look pretty. Man, you guys look good. Look at those tassels, he says. Man, you guys, all your religion, everything's in order, but the internal, the heart is corrupt. He says, you guys are a den of serpents. You look like white sepulchers, but it's whitewashed. And so it's because the Lord is not just looking at the heart. What I want us to hear today is this. Joshua 1.8, you can see the same thing. He tells us to meditate in Joshua 1.8 on the word day and night so that you will make, let's say, well, yeah, we'll just pull it up. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then you prosper and succeed. Your, the New King James says you will make your way prosperous. What is that saying? Again, this is not works, and yet it could look like works, but what, what is he saying? 
I began to just, this is what I'm trying to get to. I began to meditate on this concept, the meditations of my heart. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wow, Lord, I get what you're speaking. I get it. You want us to be meditating on your word, meditating on you, meditating on heavenly things, meditating on Christ, not just so that I can be a good Christian, but this is for my benefit. This is for my own good. I could say, well, the Lord's going to judge those things, right? Which he will. You know, the Bible says it. God's going to judge every hidden sin. Every word you said in secret, he will judge. Come on, isn't that the word? Am I not telling the word? But that's not the reason he's telling you that verse. He's telling you so that you deal with with those things, not just so that then he doesn't have to punish you, again, to use that analogy, at 11 o'clock at night because you didn't come home at 10, but so that even if you will not understand, he wants us to just understand that he's a God who loves us and has our best interest in mind, that I don't need to understand why, but someday I'm going to look back at this time and I'm going to say, wow, Lord, Praise God that you had me focus on your word. You put me in a body of believers, and that became, and this is, this is this, the Bible, you may know it as ruminating. Who remembers the old, some old Christianity, right? Ruminating or chew the cud. This is because the, the Jewish word, this was a big teaching, man, when I was a kid. This thing went around for like 20 years, though. This teaching of, of this ruminating. Does anybody ever remember? Am I the only one? And it was this concept that meditating is like a cow. A cow ruminates, right? They chew the grass, they swallow it, then they bring it, they go lay down, right? They grab it, but then they lay down, they bring it back up, and they're like, hmm, this is good. This was earlier, but it's even better now because now it has stomach acid on it. Everybody's favorite. It's like a little throw-up that you just chew on for a bit. And the Bible says that that's... That was the Jewish word for meditate, this word haga or haga, and it was to, means to murmur. It means that it's on your lips at all times. You're not letting it off your lips. And what I want us to see today, as I close here, is that the Lord is giving us this concept to bring this together, to be an opposite man, to be opposite of this world, to be someone of the word, someone of the kingdom of God, someone of the kingdom of heaven, the tool that God has given us, I'm bringing it to this conclusion, the tool that he has given us that is so powerful is that I can actually chew on his word. And it's not because I want to be a good little Christian. It's not because I need to do this because it's what God demanded. And it's not so, oh man, when he looks at my heart, it better be pure, so i got to need to think Christian thoughts. Because you won't be able to do that. Who's done that and, and failed miserably? You know, all of a sudden, as I was meditating on this, and I'm bringing this thing together, I began to just, I said, wow, wait a second. You know, you can ruminate on the wrong things. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wow, I get it now. Do you know... Every single person in this room is meditating all day. 
Is anybody in here with an absent mind in your day? <laughs> what are you doing all day? What are you doing in between the noise? Come on, everybody's doing the same thing, right? Everybody is doing the same thing in between the noise. And a lot of people during your conversation are doing it too. This is Dawn. You know, this is Dawn. Ready? Well, you're not listening. I can, rep I can tell you what you said. She can tell me back what she said. <laughs> I do the same thing. We all do it to each other. Because you're ruminating. You're ruminating. Come on, everybody say ruminating. And it can be a good thing or a bad thing. And a lot of times when we say, well, what are you meditating on? Like it's just this evil, gross sin. It doesn't need to be. It's just worldliness. It's just stuff. Or whatever your issue is. Or a conversation. You know, an argument that just is playing in your head all day. Somebody said, did or said something, you know, in traffic. Or when you first get into the office and now you're still thinking about it at dinner time or even day, worse, days later. And then, God forbid, somebody says or does something even familiar to what that moment was like, and you snap at them as if they're the person. And that's just one example. I could just be thinking, like I said, the sports player, like I started the sermon, he's just thinking about what he's into. And it's fine. The Lord has each of us in different trades. We're all in different families. We all have different things, you know, jobs and things to think. We do have things to think about. I hope that a doctor is thinking when he's working in, 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 a, <laughs> right, in the OR. I hope, I hope at that moment he's not, oh, Lord, my heart has stayed on you. You know, I hope he's like, okay, I'm about to cut, you know, some pretty serious stuff right here. And I'm going to think about what I learned in school, right? So sometimes you need to think, but this is my point. There's this, there's this circular thinking, though, in us. When all the noise fades, right? When, the, when you go into this mindless place, but your mind is not mindless. And what I just saw that the Lord was doing is the only way to really begin to be an opposite person, to, be, to live in this world like Christ did, is to train you have to take that old mind and you have to train it with the word. I have to literally, just like it says to murmur, bombard it. And this is not because, just because I want to get, you know, because I want to, when you look at my heart, I want you to see yourself. That's fine. That's a, that's a, a noble, that's a pleasing thing, but that's not, the, that's not really the best. The best would be, Lord, I want my heart to change for the sake of my, my own life on this earth, and because my life is also, I'm influenced, I have all these people around me that are looking to me, whether it doesn't, not just, I'm not talking about just being a pastor, I'm talking about you are an influence in your family, in your workplace, in the world around you, and if you are ruminating on other things, and somebody asks you something from the Lord, what do you have to give them? right? What's it come from? Well, I think this and I think that. Or is it immediately, this is what the Word says, and it's going to come. The Bible says, you know, it, it says that out of the heart, what's it say? The mouth speaks. And don't get upset if one time something slips from you that doesn't mean it's in your heart, but if it's a continual thing that's coming out of your mouth, if it's always just, if it's always just good 
knowledge and intellect or I think or I feel and that's all it is or my hobby because that's all it is right my work you're now you're just throwing up and I just saw that the Lord wanted us to chew on a word this is such a powerful tool that he's given us and it's he wants us to change this is how we will change and it's really what's been happening you in you all along, but this is the Lord's calling us to another level. You've already been doing it. You read the Word, you understood the Word, and the Holy Spirit changed you already. That's why you're changed. But to bring you to that place where you are like Christ, that mature stature of Christ, there's no, it's not a some secret formula, seven points. It's, it's just to know his word, if you let that be what you meditate on, that's what, that will be your identity. Amen? Praise God, and thank you for a couple extra minutes. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that this word would sink down deep into our hearts, become the seed and the soil, Lord, that grows into life. In Jesus' name, amen.